0: Welcome to Season 3 of the Gastric Mindset Podcast, everybody, where we should continue to have the same wonderful, inspirational conversations with those who have first had experience of going through this journey, and those who are professionals within the field. I would love if you could help me grow this tiny, tiny, tiny podcast. Share it with people who need some mindset support When you are going through biotic surgery We know it could be a really lonely journey So pass it along Give me a review wherever you listen to your podcast Send me a DM on Instagram If there's a conversation that you would love to have I hope you get so much value out of the conversations And thank you for listening and hanging on with me I love. it the podcast and i hope to bring a lot more value in season three hello hi i want to welcome jamie to the gastric mindset podcast hello jamie thank you for joining us would you like to tell me a bit about you and your wonderful work Hi, thank you for having me.
1: So my name's Jamie, uh, Jamie Mills, and I am a registered dietitian, and I specialize in bariatric surgery. Some people might know me from Instagram or social media as the sleep dietitian. So I specialize in bariatrics, but I've also had bariatric surgery. I just came up on my six years post BSG. Um, I can't believe it's been that long already and now i help other people who are going through the process and who feel overwhelmed or like they're not sure how to navigate this journey in real life so that's what that's what i spend most of my time doing
0: amazing that sounds awesome number one congratulations 6 years is it's it's you know it's been a long time and mm-hmm. i'm so excited i think you may be the first professional who's had weightless surgery that i've spoken to So I think that's a huge milestone Um, and I'm very excited because I think we've got a very different, you know, the lived experience is such a different um, angle to, to the, you know, what we go through. So um, six years. So were you, Jamie, were you a dietitian before the weight loss surgery? So I was actually in my
1: dietetic internship, so I had already finished with my bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics at the time, and then I was finishing up my clinical rotations when I had my surgery. A lot of people think I became a dietitian after the whole journey, but um, my dietitian journey had started long before my weight loss surgery.
0: Amazing. Yeah. When your mess becomes your message, a bit like me doing it the other way around. Um, Fantastic. So Jamie... I would love to hear a bit about your journey, but um, Jamie has got a new book out, which only came out last year. It was last year now. Um, and it's called Easy Way Out, which, you know, we all know, surgery is not the easy way out. Um, my podcast is just audio, but I will put it on um, on the bit at the bottom and um, people can get it on Amazon. I've got a copy and it just, it's a great read. You spent a lot of time on it, Jamie. I can tell with all the research, it's very comprehensive. Can I a bit about the book? So I know a lot has happened before the book, but how was the book born? What was the idea behind that? So the book is
1: The Easy Way Out Why Bariatrics Isn't Cheating Obesity, It Is Treating It. And this book is part memoir, but mostly about education and advocacy for bariatric surgery and destigmatizing it. There's this huge myth that sometimes having weight loss surgery or using weight loss medications is somehow cheating or taking the easy way out or cutting corners. And it was really my mission with this book to show people that that's not the case. Obesity is a disease and it's a disease I've lived with since I was a child. I had childhood obesity. I struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, I was diagnosed with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, when I was just 14 And it really defined who I was in those earlier years of my life. And I felt like I wasn't able to fully live my life as the person I wanted to. And it really wasn't until I had weight loss surgery that I was able to actually see results after years and years of dieting and trying. And that's the thing. No one just jumps into weight loss surgery having not tried to lose weight before. And it's really my mission to show the world that obesity again is a disease and we deserve care just like anyone else
0: yeah no definitely and I think we've got that in common I read in the book you know I had childhood obesity and that follows years of wanting to try every single diet and yo-yo dieting and shame um and nobody gets out one day and decides for sure that you know bariatric surgery is the, is the quick fix um which is I, I love the fact that in your book that you really, it's, you know, you're very much, and which I think we're behind here in the UK in regards to really considering obesity as a, um, as a disease, as just another, you know, the way we treat diabetes, high blood pressure. Um, I think in America and especially in Canada as well, I think, you know, that that's moving a lot faster, um, mm-hmm. which would be great because, um, it's been stigmatized so long as a personal choice, right? As a personal decision, you know, um, that's been the narrative. Um, So in your, you know, in your journey, what did you experience as you were having preparation for weight loss surgery? How were you treated and how was that process?
1: I was mostly treated well, but I do have some stories and anecdotes in there about some situations with even medical assistants at the, bariatric center where I wasn't treated well or I felt mocked or laughed at. And overall, I felt like my care leading up to surgery was pretty good. It was more so the after and feeling very alone and very isolated. Well, I felt very isolated and alone leading up to it as well, I guess. Um, I felt like the support just wasn't there. I felt like it was very routine um you would go in be told what to eat be told what not to eat given the ins and outs of the diet but there wasn't a lot of empathy there wasn't a lot of understanding for what this meant in terms of changing your whole life it felt like i felt like i was a number just through the door <laughs> like okay get her in get her out was kind of the feeling um you know they hand you i don't know how it is exactly in the uk but here Most centers will give you a binder or a packet of some kind with all of the information for your diet after, and they kind of just send you on your merry way and say, okay, good luck. (laughs) When really, because obesity is such a complicated multifaceted disease with environmental and genetic and emotional factors, you really need more support than just your binder with your diet. Because the thing is most people who've struggled with their weight their whole lives, who have tried diet after diet, we know what to eat. And once you learn the very specifics of a bariatric diet, we, I I think there's also, well, I talk a lot in my book about stigma and weight bias, and there Mm -hmm. is the stigma and the bias that People who are overweight are stupid (laughs) or don't care about themselves or are lacking in hygiene or whatever, when really we are smart, educated people with families, just like everyone else. And we can very easily understand the diet. It's not that we don't know what to do most of the time. It's having the ability and the confidence to be able to follow through with things without while navigating all those other factors and hurdles, like the emotional barriers and coping mechanisms and habit changes and
0: and whatnot, amazing. And I think most of us can probably uh, sit a PhD just in what to eat and how to diet. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, we're truly experts by experience on that matter. Um, I think you know, for example, um, a lot of us had weight loss surgery abroad. So I didn't have it in the UK because it's a very complicated um you know so i went abroad to a country I, I you know couldn't understand the language and then was sent on my way and never seen anybody eight years later um and that happens a lot i know people in america go to mexico and in the uk is turkey um, and then they ne- we never see anybody. I think our general practitioner will do our well blood, and they're not very keen either, to be honest to help us as well. So we are very much lost and and I think in America, the community, just even the badger community and the professionals within it are way more advanced than they are in the UK. So um a lot of people are just lost and don't know where to turn. And a lot of times we turn to each other in these groups. And just kind of just go through almost just peddle the that diet culture um narrative and just re-traumatize each other and just say, well just reset, go back on the um, you know. So it with in with saying that, I just wanted to ask you as 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 a professional dietitian, who should if for example, if I've had weight loss surgery abroad and I don't know what to do apart from to turn to Facebook groups. What are some of the things that I can do um, and who can I, you know, what what would you advise somebody who just feels a bit lost, they're starting to regain a little bit and just feels overwhelmed, feel like a failure?
1: Totally. So this is actually one of the main reasons I created the program that I have. Um, so I have a membership-based program and we actually have a whole section in there for people who have had that medical tourism experience. Um, so finding professional-based Group programs, finding more than just like a Facebook support group, because those have unfortunately a lot of misinformation. There's not really anyone monitoring them. Um, there can be a lot of judgment and even more stigma in there, like you said, kind of re traumatizing each other. Um, so, finding support groups that are pro- led by professionals is really important. Um, I know that that can be challenging, which is why I created what I did. Um, I also think if you have the ability to, to find a local registered dietitian and or therapist who is able to treat you personally one-on-one is really important. Um, I cannot advocate for therapy enough on this journey because I say it all the time, you have surgery on your stomachs, but not your head. And a lot of the times what we really need is that um, mindset support and that mental health support.
0: Amazing. And is that where you so do you provide so your your is a membership and then how does that usually how does it work?
1: So it's called the tribe membership. It's an acronym that stands for the real insights of bariatric eating. And when you join, you get access to basically my entire web portal where it's a combination of self paced video trainings and modules where I take you step by step through my entire process to tackling. Mindset, food, habits, nutrition, vitamins, water, exercise, all of that throughout surgery. Um, There's also a lot of supplemental video trainings and modules on things like some of the more nuanced conversations. So we have an extra module on traveling and eating out after surgery. We have one on pregnancy after weight loss surgery. We have... um, special modules just on regain or just on people who are pre-op and preparing. Um, We have hundreds of recipes that you can use that are all bariatric friendly. We have hundreds of workout videos that were created by personal trainers who had surgery. But then I think the most desirable part of the membership is not just that self-paced educational component that I have created. So you can be rest assured you're getting legitimate nutrition information. Um, We also have... 18 different tribe leaders who are a combination of bariatric patients and bariatric patients who have had surgery who lead support groups. Um, some of them are peer-led support groups where it's someone who's had surgery who's there to support you, whereas some of our other support groups are led by professionals who had surgery. So we have other dietitians who had surgery. We have therapists and psychologists who've had surgery we have a general practitioner who's had surgery we have a nurse who's had surgery and we need very specific support groups on so for example one of our therapists she will lead emotional eating support groups she will lead body dysmorphia support groups Mm -hmm. Um, We have some really unique support groups in there as well, one of which one of our dietitians leads our cultural eating support groups. There's Mm -hmm. not a lot of support for people maintaining their culture after weight loss surgery. They're just told, don't eat this, don't eat that. And that's not realistic either. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have um, support group just for people who are neurodivergent, so people who struggle maybe with ADHD and habit planning. Mm -hmm. So we have very, very unique support groups and we have about 40 to 45 of them every month.
0: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That sounds awesome. What's your take on protein? So when you come out of surgery, you're told to have your protein, of course. Um, But I think we we can get stuck on needing to have those shakes and protein and become really relying on them. And at one point, do you think it's okay to, obviously, uh, you know, protein is part of a healthy diet, but I think it's carbohydrate still gets demonized so where do you stand on that is it more of a balance or intu- being intuitive or what do you, where do you stand on that
1: so one of the things i say a lot is all foods can fit just not all the time mm-hmm. the goal after weight loss surgery should always be to get back to that balanced diet where you do have all those components on your plate, but it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So having a balanced routine is not feasible when you just have surgery because Mm -hmm. your stomach's so small, you need the protein. And that's true for the first six to 12 months, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone's a little bit different with that. And I kind of go over my process and my membership on how to start to add foods in. Mm -hmm. So yes, the diet is restrictive at first. It's meant to be. And it's because you need to get that protein in before anything else, but secondary to that, you do need to limit yourself on some of the slider foods, some of those refined carbohydrates. It's impossible to learn new habits if we're running straight back to old ones. Mm -hmm. So I think emotionally distancing ourselves from some of those trigger foods is really important. Mm -hmm. But with time, we should be adding those foods back in because with time, you're going to have more room in your stomach. Mm -hmm. So as you're able to eat more, we don't just wanna be eating more protein. That's when we wanna add more fiber, more complex carbs. And eventually you can have the refined ones too. And eventually you can have that balanced life Style where all foods can fit. It's just not going to happen right away. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make after surgery is, um, and this is my own personal take, and I know it's a really heated conversation, at least here in the U S amongst dietitians, but the whole intuitive eating narrative Mm -hmm. and movement. And I think some of its principles, I talk about this very clearly in my book, Mm -hmm. some of the, the principles of that ideology are really beautiful Mm -hmm. listening to your body eating when you're hungry stopping when you're full not restricting yourself but surgery after weight loss surgery we have really unique needs and one of the mistakes i see people make is right after surgery saying you know what i don't want to be restricted i don't want to follow a diet i -hmm. just want to eat i think those people are doing themselves a huge disservice because Mm -hmm. sign up for surgery, knowing very well, there is a diet component and it's out of medical necessity. It's not because your doctors and dietitians want you to feel restricted. It's because if we don't get that protein needs, those needs in, we can become malnourished. Mm -hmm. We can have excessive hair loss. We can have lifelong deficiencies. And again, secondary to that learning those habits that will hopefully not just help us lose the weight, but keep it off is really important. So I think it's a really nuanced conversation. It's not so black and white. Um, and when we add carbohydrates back in, and especially the refined ones is going to look a little bit different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think all of that comes with time. We're not going to wake up from surgery and have a balanced lifestyle.
0: Yeah, no different. And every, we're also different aren't We, um, no two people are the same. And that's, I think that's the complexity, you know, you can't, um, and I think another thing that I've been, you know, that comes up repetitively is um, this idea of, you know, stretching your pouch or needing to reset your pouch. And I think some people really are petrified of this. Almost to the extent that the anxiety of the ideal stretching this pouch, and I know you know I think unless something's gone wrong, um, your pouch really can be stretched. Um, I do you know maybe a sleeve. I don't know as much. I'm not you know I don't know anything about the medical side of things. But what is your take on stretching the pouch?
1: So the way it's been explained to me by other surgeons is unless your surgery was performed incorrectly or, you know, not up to standards, it's incredibly unlikely your stomach is going to stretch back out to what it was before, even with the sleeve. Um, however, again, a nuanced conversation is everyone's stomach is going to stretch a little bit. So our stomach is a muscle. So over time, once, you know, that first year, you have to remember you have an internal incision that's healing. Things are really tight. Things are really inflamed. But over that first year, once you kind of come up on that 12 to 18 month time period, your stomach is healed. The inflammation goes down. Your, you know your new pouch is <laughs> is completely healed. Mm-hmm. your stomach regains that natural elasticity that it has just because it's a muscle.
0: Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. People
1: will freak out and say, oh my God, I can eat so much more It's like yes, you're supposed to And the way it was explained to me by my dietitian when I was going through the process is if we stayed at those you know two to three ounce portions for every meal for the rest of our life, we would starve to death. Mm-hmm. Your, the goal is not to eat as little as possible for as long as possible your portions will increase over time. Mm -hmm. They're unlikely to be what it was beforehand. And a lot of the times when people tell me, Jamie, I can eat like such huge portions, I can eat, like I swear I stretched it out. We also have to look at what they're eating because Mm -hmm. different foods are going to react different in your body. This is also part of what I was saying about that time and place for adding certain foods in. Mm -hmm. Certain foods, especially the protein and high fiber foods are more dense. They will keep you more full. So that's also where... We have to learn those habits Mm -hmm. and do that work alongside our tool to make sure that we're maintaining the integrity of it.
0: And I know some people, you know, there's a percentage of normal regain um, in that, you know, it's part of the, it's part of the deal. And now with all the medical treatments that come along with, you know, with injections and so on, so on, do you, do you think, you know, I think we need a suite of treatments for people, you know, I think obesity. Is, so if, for example, there's somebody who's a couple of years out, they're starting to regain and possibly they're thinking about getting a revision of some kind. Would What would you advi- would you advise them to possibly think about going, you know, down that route? I don't think it would be appropriate for me to advise on that because I'm not a doctor. Sure, sure. Just... Uh, as a suite of options, I guess, that's what I'm saying. Not just, would it be something instead of, because I think what I find in, especially in England, is that if the sleeve is not working, then we would go for revision. And now we're having more options. Explore that with your provider or the person that's, you know, whoever, it will be a doctor who prescribes it, I think in this country anyway. But get over the shame, rather than think i've just felt this so i Oh yeah so
1: having multiple tools is really important um and i think we're very fortunate that we at least here in the u.s are in a place where we have more options now with all of the different anti-obesity medications i actually have two chapters on those as well Mm -hmm. so bariatrics is the field of medicine that treats obesity and there are two branches one is surgical one is medical Mm -hmm. so Being a bariatric dietitian, (laughs) means that I'm in support of both tools for obesity. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally have also been on a GLP-1 medication um, and it was tremendously helpful in moving my journey along even further, especially I had experienced a little bit of regain and a little bit of PCOS uh, symptoms resurfacing. Mm -hmm. So going on GLP-1 was another wonderful tool for me at the time. So I think we should absolutely explore all the options because again, when we can stop putting all the shame and blame on ourselves and realize that a huge component of obesity is physiological. And it's not just sure. Our habits will always play a role. That's absolutely something to look at. Um, but if one of these medications or additional tools can help you move along with those habits and do better with those habits, why wouldn't we take that option?
0: Yeah, no, amazing. And it's something definitely that's coming over here. It's you know, it's not widespread as it is in the US, but I'm excited for 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 the community to have another another tour. Um so if for example, if we were to how does the time difference work? I guess with if we were going to join your tribe, how would, would 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 that impact it or is it something that you could just so yeah. all
1: of the self-paced modules you can do whenever you want. They are completely on your own time. For our live support groups, um, I'm very, very proud of the fact that we are an international program. We have many members from the UK, we have members from um England, we have people in Ireland, we have people in Australia, we have a lot of people from Australia actually. Um, we have people from all over. So, with that, what we have is a vast variety of times. So, like I said, we have anywhere from 40 to 45 support groups. And many of those take place, we have them all day long. So there are a lot of noon, my time support groups, which means they would be 5 p.m. UK time. We also have a good amount of support groups um, on the weekends. So, you know, if we have an 11 a.m. or a 10 a.m. support group, Mm -hmm. that is, if I'm doing my math correctly, um, like 4 or 3 p.m. in the UK. So There are just so many different time options. We even added, believe it or not, we added a 6 a.m. support group for our time because people in Australia, it's 8 p.m. the next day. So, But it's funny because we have a lot of our own members um, who are here in in the U.S. who like to get up and get on a support group before they go to work. Mm -hmm. So we have so many different time options. Um, the goal is not to go to all 40 support groups. They're all there to give you options in different times and different topics. Um, but yeah, we've had a lot of people in the UK join and have found it really helpful.
0: Amazing. And I know, um, it was, I think on your Instagram, um, I saw that you actually go and meet people and when you're in different towns, you have meetups and, um, you know, you try to do all that, which is fantastic. Um, brilliant. Um, I know it's, our time difference is I can't even tell the time now um I just want to, you know I think everybody I'm gonna reread the book because I read it a couple of months ago and I'm very dyslexic so my head fairly neurodiverse individual doesn't keep a lot of information are you gonna do a um audible version or have you? Got it's
1: one? on my goal list we haven't gotten there yet but I do
0: plan on doing one eventually fantastic that's definitely on my street but I I love having it and it's really comprehensive it's got all the definitions you've done a really good job on explaining a lot of really you know a lot of complex stuff and I would you know I think if you've got enough time I would love to ask you about if you could just touch on and I think you may have in the book but just the set point and I know set points are really it's quite complex but in for somebody who has been overweight or 300 pounds all their life and then had weight loss surgery if you could just because I think a lot of people don't I didn't know about set points I didn't know the body always wanted to return to that point and it was this biological factor that's working against me also so I would like you know if you can distill that a tiny bit for us
1: So set point theory is a theory and it's one that's been debated. So some people don't believe in set point theory, other people do. Um, So I just want to make it clear that it's not a definitive um, Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. but I talk about set point theory because I think it's interesting to look at are like the driving factors for why people who have struggled with their weight their whole life are more likely to struggle to sustain that weight loss mm-hmm. than someone who's naturally been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So if you have someone who is 300 pounds and they get down to 150 pounds, mm-hmm. and you compare them to someone who is same age, same height, um, same gender, same lifestyle factors, and they are 150 pounds, but never struggled with their weight. Mm-hmm. The person who was once 300 pounds is going to struggle much more to stay there. Mm-hmm. And the theory kind of talks about with those biological factors is our body's goal is to maintain homeostasis, which is that um, equilibrium, keep us in balance. And uh, evolution hasn't quite caught up to the abundance of food that we have available in our society today so back in like ancient caveman times if we lost a drastic amount of weight your body's going to say oh my god no like we're going to die we have famine we're not going to have our food we need to have our extra store fat stores on our body to protect us and we'll try and get your body to gain more weight in pretty simple ways terms whereas we're not in caveman times we're not fighting for our food every day so if we lose weight it's not necessary the the weight on our body isn't as protective in certain situations the weight on your body can be protective but having extreme obesity we want to lose that weight but biologically your body thinks something is wrong yeah and your body wants you to gain that weight back so metabolically you're going to be more hungry you're going to strive to get back to that weight or your body will even if you don't want to um so that's like very very like plain terms to try to describe yeah, it yeah it's a lot yeah. nicer in the book yeah. um but set point theory is a theory that basically describes why it's sometimes harder for people who have always struggled with their weight to keep the weight off versus someone who never struggled
0: yeah and i really you know, I really like the idea of that because it takes away, it's not a personal choice almost. It's not, if your body does want to go, get back to that, it's not. I think it takes away some of that self-blame if you've, if you you know, if you've had I a weight gain. there
1: is self-blame, like, you know, especially as practitioners. If you are someone who is gaining weight, who is really hungry, who has... A lot of cravings, who continues to give in to cravings because you can't control it. It's really easy to blame yourself and it's really easy for practitioners to blame you. But those mm-hmm. who are well-versed in obesity know, rather than blaming, we should be asking why that is. Yeah. So, you know, why is it that you're so hungry? Why is it that you're not satisfied? Why is it that this is happening so that we can get to the root of that to actually help you versus blaming you for it and, you know, to begin with.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think in ideal world that would be what happens, but I think um especially here in the UK, um, you know, I I've read stories of um dietitians, you know, of all sorts of different professionals, but telling people who've struggled with, for example, disordered eating, binge eating, and asking them to go on um, you know, fast, um, have intermittent do intermittent fasting. You know, just like, oh, oh, dear. But, yeah, so it's very complex. And I I think it's really hard when the professionals, all they go on, a lot of them is just, you know, information they've been taught from a medical book, which is mostly based on a, on a man, many, many moons. You know, I think we probably have a conversation about B, BMIs and all sorts of, you know, so... It's it's such a complex, um, you know, topic. Um, But thank you so much. I think that's really helpful, in the sense that I think everything I want to do with this podcast and everything I do is just to make people understand: it's not your, none of this is a personal choice. Obesity is not the one thing you decided. Oh yeah, I'll give that a go. Um, So I, you know, thank you so much. Um, Is there anything else you want to share with us before I let you go, um, Jamie? Um, No, but thank you so much for having me. If
1: anyone has questions that I wasn't able to answer here, you can always contact me through um, my website, www.thesleepdietitian.com. Also, you can follow me on Instagram or TikTok at The Sleep Dietitian. Um, And if you want more information on my membership program, all of that is on my website or the link in my bio on Instagram as well
0: fantastic and i will have all that at the bottom of the uh, episode well i want to say thank you so much and i definitely think everybody should get the book and ha- check jamie out she's got so much content on um on social media especially instagram i am not brave enough for um um tiktok yet um but yeah you've got loads of cool stuff on uh, instagram so go and check her out everybody and um yeah let's get the information from the right people that will support us, you know, on our journey way better and help us thrive. Thank you so much, Jamie. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you for being here with me. I hope you got some value from this episode. If so, please give me a review. It will make me super happy and support others from our community to find the podcast. Share it with your Barry Bestie. Connect with me on Instagram at gastricmindset. It will be wonderful to hear from you.